Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for the singing. Thank you for the voices joining in song. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have gathered us together to worship, but also to pray on behalf of your people. Lord, I pray that as we continue worshiping through your word, that you would continue to turn our eyes toward you, that you would continue to shape our hearts by the power of your word, by your spirit, and by um, the testimonies of your saints. Thank you for the testimonies of your saints. Thank you for how you have used us to be a part of your kingdom, to be a part of fulfilling your promise. Thank you for those who have gone before us and those who stand waiting for us and waiting for that final crown to be placed upon the heads of your church. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, as I prepared for this sermon and considered the charge of, the, of, of this text for today in Hebrews, it's really been hard not to think about the courageous people of Ukraine. Watching it all week, seeing the, uh, just the amazing courage and character of so many people. It's hard not to think about them, but also it's very plain how it applies to this text today in Hebrews. This week I see hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian men and women either staying back in the city, in, the, in, in where they are in Ukraine, or some are even returning to their homeland to fight the Russian forces. They're outnumbered, they're outpowered, yet they're steadfast and determined to be victorious. All of them working toward one goal. It's a powerful scene. Watching men and women, even old women, Picking up AK-47s, assault rifles. You see a picture. I saw this picture of this probably 70-year-old woman holding an AK-47 and learning how to use it. She's not going down. Taking whatever they can, whatever they can get their hands on, whatever they can get rid of to barricade the streets, to create barricades, whatever they need to do or make some kind of makeshift weapons, whatever it takes to keep the enemy out of their cities. Some have even been laying down in front of tanks and, and the vehicles of, of the Russians to say, no more, you're not coming one inch further. And our others have already given their lives. 
Too many. Too many. What's keeping them going? What's keeping them so steadfast? What's providing such endurance for these people? Well, as you see, as you hear the interviews, you know it's their identity as Ukrainians. They're very proud of who they are as Ukrainians. It's their resistance against the enemy. But they're also following the courageous and faithful leaders of their country. Also following those who, who say, I'm staying here and I'm going to fight. Inspiring more courage and more endurance in those who are living there and saying, okay, I'm staying too. They're fighting to win back their freedom, to win back their peace and the independence that they once enjoyed as a nation and calling their people to join them and calling other countries to join them as well in the fight. The reason I can't help opening this sermon with the story of these incredible people is because the fight, resolve, and endurance we're witnessing in the Ukrainians is what I believe the author of Hebrews is calling us to in today's passage for the kingdom of God. I believe for us to really, you know, what, what should have been read, though, as, as we uh, I should have had verse 39 and 40 of chapter 11 read also because it connects as I say, you know, we've got to remember that these chapters aren't included in the original letters. They're just for us, for reference purposes. But verse 39 and 40 have something to say about these witnesses, about what happened in, about what was laid out in chapter 11. The last two verses of chapter 11 provide some of the context for the charge that this author is bringing to us, where he is connecting the old covenant saints with the new covenant saints. Listen to what he says, and all these, verse 39, uh, chapter 11, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us. That apart from us, this is, this is amazing, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's a connection here. Yes, he laid out the Old Testament saints and how their faith was great and how the Lord worked and how he was faithful throughout the time, fulfilling his promise through these brothers and sisters. But there's more to it. They're not the only ones. It says that they died without receiving the promise. What promise did they not receive? It, it's, it's the promise of the eternal inheritance Hebrews talks about this in, back in chapter 9, verse 15. It says, Therefore, he, uh, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. It's this eternal inheritance. Verse 40 says that this eternal inheritance will not be fully granted or perfected apart from those of the Hebrew audience and also all of us in the New Testament era. In verse 40 of chapter 11, the author is telling us that the old covenant saints are actually one with us, that we are one body in Christ. This perfection or completion would only come through Christ when he crowns his church as one body. I quoted John Chrysostom last week, and I'm going to quote him again this week because he wrote a lot on Hebrews. And in chapter 11, verse 40, Chrysostom writes this, 
regarding that, that statement that was read in chapter, in verse 40. God appointed one time of crowning for all. And he did, and he, and, and he that, I'm sorry. Let me read this again. God appointed one time of crowning for all. And he that gains a victory so many years before receives his crown with you. Do you see his tender carefulness? For if we are all one body, the pleasure becomes greater to his body when it's crowned all together and not part by part. To be glorified all together is a great delight. So these saints of the old covenant in chapter 11 were set before the Hebrew audience as examples of faith to prove God's faithfulness throughout and to demonstrate that we also are one with them. Therefore, he's seeking to encourage them. Encouraging them to press on and to provide the inspiration so that they may now run this race with a steadfast endurance. So how does the author to the Hebrews inspire this endurance in chapter 12? He does it by showing them three things in these two verses. Just preaching on two verses today, but there's a lot in here, as you can see. You'll probably preach a few, a few sermons on these two verses. But he's going to show them what we have. He's going to show them what to do and where to look. And I'll say that about us. He's going to show us what we have, what to do, and where to look. So he starts off with what we have. Now this, this passage here, you see this, a little shift in, in, in direction here where the, where the author is writing right now. Up until this time, he's been talking about doctrine. He's been talking about theology. He's been talking about the person and character of Christ. Now in chapter 12, he starts shifting to say, okay, now go. And we see this with this word, therefore. There's a lot of therefores in this book, really. If you look through it, there's a lot of therefores. But in the Greek, there are about three words that are translated in the English as therefore. This one here, the significance of this therefore is it is a significant shift in the writer and what he's doing here. And so what we had, it's referring back to chapter 11, looking at all of the saints that went before us. And what matters here is that this transition, it's a shifting of gears. It, 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 I think a way you can um, compare this is what you see in Ephesians. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, chapter 3 ends with uh, the doctrine. So chapters 1, 2, and 3 in Ephesians are all doctrine and theology. And in chapter 4 is Paul saying, I therefore, prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Then he starts going on. Four, five, and six are all application, how we should walk. It's what's true, and then the next three chapters are what to do. So he says this, therefore, for this very reason, what he's referring back to are the reasons, what reason? That God has kept his promise and demonstrated his faithfulness through, through the faith of the old covenant saints and that they are one with us. Keeping all that in mind, as he's moving into chapter 12 here. Now, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, first thing to notice here in this passage is that the author is including himself. He's been talking to them. He's been encouraging them, telling them you need endurance. But now he's saying we are all surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. 
this great cloud of witnesses. It's, it's a word for cloud, but it's, it's referring to a host of people, a host of people surrounding us, surrounding the audience. So, and remember that this, this audience of the Hebrews is very discouraged. They're fearful. Remember, they're wanting to turn back. They're wanting to turn away from the very, the, the, the great high priest that the Old Testament saints were looking forward to. They're wanting to turn away from Christ because they're fearful. And so the author is pulling him in and saying, look, we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses. And let me remind you who this great cloud of witnesses is. It's the old covenant saints that were named back in chapter 11 starting with Abel, all the way through the ones, the, the prophets and the judges. But remembering that, they, that, that this cloud of witnesses are those that persevered or endured in the faith in God's promise. These are a cloud of witnesses who all died without receiving the promise. These are also a cloud of witnesses who were striving in faith was not for themselves alone. But it was for others. It was for the many. They were part of the promise as well. And this cloud of witnesses, by the way, is adding to their number day by day. Now, the most common image that we think of for this cloud of witness is that of people in a stadium. As the runners, and, and, and this is using uh, a sports language here, athletic competition language. And we see this, Paul uses this a lot too, and we're going to refer to some of that. But what we, what we think of is that we're the ones running, we're coming into the stadium, and being cheered on by the cloud of witnesses. That's very invigorating, and it is very inspirational. And, and, and if, I'm, uh, if, if I'm going to be running a race, I would prefer to be running a race with hundreds and thousands of people cheering, wouldn't you? Because that is it's just helpful. But there's more to it. See, this cloud of witnesses are not just people who paid their ticket and are sitting in the stands watching people who are running who've gone through the process no, this cloud of witnesses are people who have been through the process, the ones who have already run the race, the ones who have gone through, the suffered the loss, the pain, the loneliness, the feeling of wanting to give up, the feeling of losing faith, that they couldn't go any longer, but they kept running. They kept on because they had their eyes on the prize and they kept running toward Christ. And you know what? They did. They finished. They finished. Their testimony lives on as a witness of God's faithfulness to us, to the Hebrews, to all of us who are in Christ who have not yet finished the race. It's a cloud of witnesses. Yes, they are cheering us on, but they are also ones who have gone through this. And they're saying, come on. And now they surround us with their testimonies of victory through faith in a faithful God. It's more than just the people. The important thing here is it's more than just the people. It's the testimonies that come from their lives. Chapter 11 wasn't so much about the people. It was about the faithfulness of God and the testimonies that came out of faith in God's promise. And so this cloud of witnesses, they wait. 
They wait eagerly for us. And they surround us. And they beckon us across the finish line, telling us, don't give up yet. Because you are part of us. And we need you here. Because you complete us. They're waiting for us because we're all going to get crowned together. Praise God for that. This is what we have. This is what we possess as runners of the race, as those who have faith in Christ Jesus. This is what we have. We have a cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. We have the community of the body of Christ, past and present, surrounding us and reminding us and singing even, Great is thy faithfulness, O God. And now having such great witnesses around us, such great testimonies, the author lays that out and says, this is what you have, now here's what to do. And he says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Again, this is language of, of sports competition. Weight really does refer to weight for an athlete. It's, 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 it's when an athlete is getting to his fighting weight or her fighting weight or their racing weight, whatever it might be. They do whatever they have to do to get to that place to where nothing is hindering them. So this weight that he's talking about isn't necessarily anything sinful, but there are things that are hindering our walk with God. There are things that are hindering our growth in Christ that aren't necessarily sinful, aren't there? What are things that are, that are keeping you from your growth in Christ? What are things that are slowing you down that aren't necessarily sinful? Could it be something like a bad habit? Could it be something like a hobby that you love so much that you're just engaging yourself in that all the time and ignoring your time with Christ? Could it be what I do all the time? Screens, keep it very close to me because I don't ever want to be without it, right? I'm sure you can add to this list as to what things are the weight or the burdens or the things that are dragging you down to keeping you from growing in Christ. You know, the thing about the, the, the Greek athletes, as you might have heard, you know, that when they were off to the races, they made sure nothing hindered them. They took everything off because they weren't going to have anything messing with their aerodynamics. So a lot of them ran naked. But think about that. They took everything off to keep from hindering their race, their performance. But it's not just the weight that he's talking about. It's just not the burdens. It's not just the drag. He's talking about the sin as well. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Another way to translate that is, is sins to which we cling so closely. Sins that we don't want to let go of. Sins that hold so tightly onto us or we hold so tightly onto them that we can't set them aside. But we've got to be reminded. As Paul says in Galatians, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
Why is this important? Paul goes on, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Referring to the things that you want to do in Christ. The sin of the flesh are going to hinder your growth. How are you dealing with sin in your life? Do you ignore it? Do you just claim the grace of God and forget about it? Or does it trouble you? Yes, the grace of God is always present. Forgiveness is always present. But how much does it grieve you? What sin is holding you down? What sin is slowing down your growth? What sin consumes your mind and you find so hard to get rid of? Even in your times of prayer, in your times in the word of God, here in worship. What sins are holding you down? Theologian Gerhardus Voss, he says about sin, no compromise. This is what he says. Speaking of sin, this is an enemy with whom no compromise should be made. Every sin which we allow to stay with us may at any moment become an occasion for our fall. What is demanded, therefore, is a positive and aggressive attitude towards sin. We must not merely resist it, but lay it aside in dependence upon the grace of God. Cut ourselves loose from it. Sanctification or growth in Christ ought to be to every child of God not a casual or half-hearted matter, but an intelligent, systematic pursuit. He's saying declare war on sin and don't give up. Because if you're going to run this race, you have to have everything that's going to hinder you. You have to lay it aside. It's a serious call. It's a serious charge to which he's calling us to run the race with endurance. And endurance requires to be able to deal with the things that are holding us down and to deal with them directly. So how are you combating the sin in your life? Perhaps it's time to increase your weaponry against sin. Build up your arsenal. In your resistance, remind yourself that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That you are no longer your own, but that you belong to Christ and are a new creature in him. You have a new life in Christ. Fill your mind with the things which are glorifying to God. Set your mind on things that are pleasing to God. As Paul says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated. Fill your mind with those things that are pleasing to him and set no worthless thing before your eyes, as the psalmist says. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. As we're going to see, our eyes are going to be needed to be elsewhere in this race.
So after we cast off, after we lay aside, get rid of the weight and the sin, then he says, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's another sports imagery here. Running the race with endurance, this race that has been put before us. Here what Paul, here, listen what Paul says about running the race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So, he says, run so that you may be the one to obtain it. Run to win. Don't just run. Don't just keep up. Go all the way. Run to win. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, a laurel wreath, which is probably not that great. But it was the position. It was the fame that they would get from this thing. And think about the training they would do. Think about the endurance training they would do to, to make sure that they got that wreath, make sure that they won the race. But they were doing it to receive a perishable wreath. But he's saying the race of Christ is to receive an imperishable wreath, to receive that which is imperishable. So what Paul says, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. He sees this race as serious. He sees the race as one to be run, ran to win compete to go all the way but as we run we don't run looking down we don't run without having any direction without having any goal this is where the author after telling us what we have what to do now he tells us where to look where to fix our eyes he says looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising or, or disregarding the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. By saying that Jesus, now you notice in the call of worship, I think it was, uh, it, it, it was uh, the NIV, it said Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. Um, the, the, those are interchangeable. I, I personally like founder uh, of the ESV. But by saying this, that Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, it's like saying he is the point A and the point B of our journey. He's where we start and he's where we're going. And keep your eyes on him. He's the beginning and the end. He's the reason we start and he's the goal of our race. He is where we're going. Keep your eyes fixed on him. You know that looking, again, it's more looking away, looking away from other things and looking, focusing, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. If you're following Christ, you will not walk in darkness. Fix your eyes on Christ. Consider the Olympic athlete. If you watch the Olympics this uh, past in February, or you know, of course you've watched them uh, other times, or any other athlete, think about the professional athletes, especially the individual athletes. You see them getting ready. 
I remember watching Michael Phelps before he, was, before he would swim, and he would sit, he'd have his earbuds in, but that was all intentional. It was a fact of setting his mind, putting everything else out of his mind. Because you see, these athletes train to condition their bodies, yes, but they're also training to condition their mind. And the more they're learning, the more they're doing, they're recognizing how important conditioning the mind is to their performance. And they're very serious. And they don't want to let anything, anything distract them. Nothing to pull their eyes off of the goal. If their mind isn't fixed on the goal, some of the worst performances will happen and you'll hear the athlete say later, I just got distracted. I just wasn't in it. Keeping their minds on the goal. This week, or last week, I saw a, uh, an interview with a Ukrainian woman. These interviews are heart-wrenching. They're inspiring. Um, they make you angry. I don't remember the exact words of this interview, what she said, but, but the interviewer asked this. Talking to this young mother last week, the reporter asked her about her bravery. Bravery. How is it that you're so brave? Where do you get this courage? Something like that. And what she said was she just kind of shook her head and just said, this isn't bravery. We love our country. We want this to end. We love our country. The woman's love for her country was producing a, a courage that she could probably never produce in, in and of herself. But for her, it really wasn't about the bravery. It wasn't about being brave. It was about the love for her country. It was about having her eyes on a goal that she wanted to see. It was about persevering to the goal of peace and the goal of freedom. And through that, it, pro it provided bravery. It provided endurance for her, perseverance, that she wasn't going to go down. She was staying. She was going to care for her kids Keeping our eyes fixed on the goal is one of the most important things we could be doing in the race. Keeping our minds focused. Paul says this in Philippians 3, Brothers, I don't consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, one thing I do, I forget everything that lies behind, I look away from the things behind me, and I strain, I strain forward toward the goal. I press on to what lies ahead, and I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That was Paul's mission. Reminds me of the song, that, 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 that chorus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. The idea is to pursue Christ, to draw near to Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. The author is telling us that the key to running the race with endurance is not to try to build up your faith, not to sit there and work on your faith, but to fix our eyes on the goal, 
to fix our eyes on Jesus because he's the beginning and he's the end of our faith. Strive to know him. As Paul once again said in Philippians, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. I cast it all aside. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Why? That I may know him. That I may know him, that I may know the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, by any means possible, do you hear the passion? Do you hear the endurance? Do you hear the drive to be with Christ? Paul's eyes fixed on the goal. Nothing is going to hinder him that I may attain the resurrection of the dead because that is what matters. That is what lives on. Brothers and sisters, in the end, it all comes down to how close we are to our Lord. It, it comes down to how much we love and know our Lord. How deeply we know him, how much we love him, how much we are drawn to him. So may we draw near to our Lord. May we draw near to Jesus fixing our eyes upon him, looking away from all other things, running the race with endurance, laying aside that which hinders us and doing it together. <laughs> doing it together because we are one body with him. May God bless us as we go from here. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for these words. Encourage us, Lord. Many of us are hurting. Many of us want to quit Many of us are worn out, but Lord, some of us, some of us are running the race with great endurance right now. Lord, help us to encourage one another, help us to pray for one another, and Lord, fix our eyes upon you. Strengthen our faith and our endurance. In Christ's name we pray, amen.